Chapter 3 Things are different after that day, where Ilya nearly drowned in his backyard. Not substantially so, but the change is noticeable. For one, Napoleon starts to invite Ilya inside for a cup of tea when he's home, and Ilya is done in the garden. And more importantly, Ilya often consents. He isn't any closer to finding out about Ilya's past, and a quick background check, which he asserts was entirely necessary for security reasons, doesn't return a whole lot. Still, he's content for the time being to carry on as they have been, which mainly consists of Ilya mocking Napoleon's exorbitant ways, and Napoleon defending them with exaggerated fervor. Ilya never asks what Napoleon does for work, never asks why he's away for such long periods of time. Napoleon wishes he would, in a way, but he's not sure why. He wouldn't be able to tell him anyway. Perhaps it's because he wants to know that Ilya is just as fascinated by him, though he doesn't put a lot of confidence in that. He's a lot less mysterious than the Russian man, at least on the outside. He's very good at pretending his companions have all of him, even when they only see a section of the whole. He thinks he might want to give more of himself to Ilya, share more. It's a dangerous thought, one he can't afford. But he can indulge himself for a little longer, can't he? Napoleon has currently been home for a few days. He's sitting in his armchair with a glass of scotch, while Ilya stands inspecting his impressive art collection. He's been staring at the painting above the fireplace for a while now. Monet? he asks. The Thames below Westminster, Napoleon confirms. The original? The very same. Napoleon swirls around the glass. He can feel Ilya looking at him. He waits, but Ilya doesn't ask. After a moment, Ilya comes to sit down on the lounge across from him. Do you want a drink? Napoleon offers. Ilya shakes his head. Napoleon isn't surprised. Ilya has never accepted his offers. Napoleon sighs and tilts his head back onto the chair. He's leaving tomorrow for Valencia, and he already knows it's going to be a difficult assignment. There's a family involved, a father who had gotten involved with the wrong people, namely a man, Beros, who illicitly trades in blood diamonds, among other stones, and his wife and children used as leverage. There's too much at stake, too many people involved. It's messy. It makes him want to stay for longer. He looks back at Ilya, just in time to see Ilya's eyes snap up from his neck. He files it away to think about later. I'm leaving tomorrow, he tells him. Ilya nods slowly. How long? Napoleon shrugs. It could be months. He takes a drink. The sun is beginning to set, and the room is gradually darkening. But Napoleon doesn't want to stand just yet, wants to stay right where he is. I will keep watch of the house, Ilya says. It isn't what he wants him to say. I know you will, he says anyway. He leans forward to pour himself another drink. He's well on his way to Tipsy, and he welcomes it. He wants to forget for a little while about the impending mission, the quiet of his house. He stands and walks over to his record player, pulling a record out of his collection and putting it on. What are you doing? Ilya twists around to face him, and the sound of soft jazz fills the room. What does it look like I'm doing, Peril? He tosses back the rest of his drink and puts his glass down, then turns to face Ilya. 
He dips into a little bow and extends a hand. Would you like to dance? Ilya snorts. No. Suit yourself, he says, and he closes his eyes and sways a little in time with the music. You're drunk, he hears Ilya say. Napoleon hums. Not quite. He can feel Ilya's eyes on him. He pretends the heat he can feel on his skin and the warmth that spreads through his body is all due to the scotch. After a while, Napoleon hears the couch shift, and then he senses Ilya's presence in front of him. Cowboy, Ilya says, close. Napoleon blinks open his eyes. Ilya looks solid in the dying light, firm. Napoleon wants to reach up and touch to make sure. The song finishes, and the silence that descends upon the room feels heavier than before. They stand, watching each other in the quiet. Ilya is the first to speak. He reaches up to rest his hand in the juncture of Napoleon's neck and shoulder and squeezes slightly. You should get some rest. Napoleon nods, a little dazed. This is the first time Ilya has touched him. It's a little hard to digest. Ilya's hand lingers for a while, and then he drops it back to his side. I will see you when you return. It sounds like a promise of sorts. Right now, Napoleon will take anything he can get, which is worrying, but it's something he can worry about when he gets back. I know you will, he says again. A couple of weeks into the mission, Napoleon is feeling a little despondent. They haven't gotten too far with the assignment. They have the location of the hostages pinned down to a mansion on an estate owned by one of Barrow's men. But it's delicate. Any wrong move could mean the loss of innocent life. And Napoleon isn't enjoying the prospects of Spain as much as he could. He finds himself missing home like he hasn't before. If he really thinks about it, it isn't the house he's missing. But he's trying not to think about it. Gabby picks up on his melancholy mood right away. Solo, she says through the earpiece he's wearing as he scopes out the perimeter of the estate where the hostages are being kept. He's crouched behind the bushes, 200 meters from where the guards are patrolling the border. He surveys the two guards at the post nearest to him. Their guns are resting over their shoulders as they laugh and smoke, not on high alert then. Yes? You've been off lately, and I know you're trying to hide it from me. Napoleon sighs. Gabby, is this really the time? You're not going to talk to me about it any other time. Gabby says indignantly. Well, I can assure you, darling, Napoleon drawls, where he continues to observe through his binoculars. I'm not seeing anyone else. Promise. You know you're the only woman for me. He can practically hear Gabby rolling her eyes. Napoleon. Gabby. She stays silent. He sighs again. I'm not off. I'm just concentrating on the mission. Bullshit. You're very stubborn, you know. Yes, I know that. Why do you think Uncle took me on? Because you're a damn good spy. That too, Gabby says a little smugly. Napoleon laughs. Anyway, I know what you're doing, and I won't let you. Her tone changes, becomes a bit softer. I just want to know that you're all right. Napoleon melts a little at the admission. He loves her. He does. He drops his binoculars. The guards aren't going anywhere. Do you ever wonder if there's more outside this? 
more than jetting around the globe and saving the world one egomaniac at a time. I'm not sure what you mean. I mean, do you ever want more? There's a pause, and Napoleon can hear Gabby's soft breathing. I... I don't know. Napoleon shakes his head, even though he knows she can't see him. It doesn't matter. This is a pretty good life for a thief, isn't it? Oh, Napoleon... Gabby says softly, and it sounds too much like pity for Napoleon's liking. He squares his shoulders and picks the binoculars back up. The guards at post B are rotating. There's a pause before Gabby replies. Copy that. It's another three weeks before they're ready to put the plan into action. Not as ready as Napoleon would prefer, but they've taken enough time as it is. They can't afford any more. The situation is like a ticking bomb, and they need to defuse it now. Napoleon has dropped a kilometer from the estate with part of the extraction team, and they move forward and spread out into the darkness until they're almost at the point Napoleon was yesterday. Snipers crash forward and take out the guards at the post. They go down near silently, like Napoleon knows the guards at the other posts will. When they're given the all-clear, they move forward onto the estate and up towards the house, and it's now that the actual gunfire starts. Guards are yelling out in Spanish and driving out in hordes, but Napoleon knows his task, knows he isn't to get involved. He winds his way past the action, taking out a couple of guards that get too close. In a few minutes, he's inside the mansion, landing lightly through the window on the balls of his feet. The room is deserted, which isn't strange, seeing as all the fighting is happening outside. He heads down the corridor. He has the place mapped out inside his head, and he knows exactly where he's heading. He takes a left, a right, taking down a couple of guards as he goes. He heads down the stairs, but only gets down a few steps before bullets whiz past him, entirely too close for comfort. He twists around and crouches, firing a few shots towards the guards at the railing, and then he continues down the stairs, faster, needing cover. A bullet tears through a step a second before his foot reaches it, and his foot sinks, making him tumble forward. He hears a distinctive snap from his ankle before he rolls down the rest of the staircase. He bites down a groan when he reaches the bottom, and instead reaches for his gun lying on the floor next to him, and hauls himself to his feet, taking out the remaining guards at the top of the stairs. He limps onward towards his destination, the adrenaline pumping through him, numbing most of the effects of what he sure is a broken ankle. He takes out the four guards outside the room, with skill he's sure even Gabby would be impressed with, and barges into the room without hesitation. Barrow stands in the center with one of the children clutched in his arm, and a gun pressed against her temple. The girl is shaking and crying. She looks so young. Twelve, Napoleon remembers from the file. Barrow looks at him and smiles cruelly. And so he says in accented English. You are here. This is what you have come for, yes? Napoleon doesn't answer, just watches, doesn't lower his gun. You will not shoot me, Barrows says. You will not let the girl die. Napoleon takes a breath, aims, and shoots Barrows between the eyes. Later, Napoleon finds out the other child didn't survive, and neither did the wife. He doesn't flinch as his ankle is poked and prodded by the medic. 
doesn't say a word until Gabby flies through the door and throws herself over him, murmuring that she's so glad he's okay and it wasn't his fault that there's nothing they could have done. He tries to give her a smile and lets her smooth a hand over his forehead. I know, he says. She nods and she stays with him for the night, curled up next to him with her head resting on his chest. Napoleon doesn't get to go home for another two weeks. His ankle was thankfully not bad enough to need surgery, so he's discharged from the hospital after a couple of days. But there's a lot to be done in HQ. A lot of paperwork. Days of post-mission briefing. Waverly nearly gives Napoleon a regretful look as soon as he arrives back in London. We can't have them all, he says. But no one but Burroughs is to blame for this. And he claps Napoleon on the back on his way out. When Napoleon arrives home, he's exhausted. Waverly has given him six weeks' leave to recover. It's the longest time Napoleon's had between missions. The sun has just begun to set, and Napoleon drags himself off to bed, dropping his suitcase at the front door and resting his crutches up against the bedroom wall on the way. When he wakes, the sun is high in the sky, but he spends another hour in bed before he gets up. He is on holidays, he reasons. He deserves it. He eventually gets himself upright and into his robe, and struggles to make coffee and toast while hopping around the kitchen. He settles down on a lounge near the windows and drifts in and out of sleep, the sunlight warm on his face. When he wakes up fully, the lights suggest late afternoon, and there is a familiar man standing at his back door. He blinks his eyes open fully and pulls himself up, reaching for his crutches. When he opens the door, Ilya looks him over an unhappy frown on his face. You are back, he says. Indeed I am, Napoleon says, and steps back to allow Ilya inside. Napoleon hobbles back towards the lounge room and drops into a seat, gesturing for Ilya to sit down, which he does, hesitantly. Napoleon pours himself a drink from the decanter on the coffee table. He isn't meant to be drinking with the medication he's on, but he was never one for following the rules. Ilya continues to watch him, and it makes Napoleon feel prickly, on edge. He doesn't feel much like company right now, not even Ilya's, but he knows he has to do this, keep his cover. This is why he never should have pursued any relationship with Ilya outside of what was professional. He knew that, but he did anyway. Drink, he offers Ilya. He can't quite bring himself to meet his eyes. Ilya doesn't answer for a while and the silence that descends upon the room is taut. No, Ilya says eventually. Napoleon shrugs, leans forward to pour himself another. You are hurt, Ilya says, and Napoleon waves a hand dismissively. Ah, uh, yes, fractured an ankle, unfortunately. Nothing too dire. There is something more, he murmurs. Napoleon huffs a laugh, but there is no humor in it. No, nothing more. Why don't you have a drink? You are a good liar, cowboy, but not today, Ilya says. Napoleon feels a spark of annoyance. He knows he isn't really angry with Ilya, knows this is much larger, but Ilya is here and pressing, and Napoleon doesn't want to deal with this today. He brings his glass up to his lips, with a hand that isn't as steady as usual, and downs the rest of it. Ilya just watches him calmly, and it does nothing to suppress the anger that is building up inside him. He's full of resentment and frustration, 
and Ilya sits there. You do not want to talk? Ilya shrugs. That is fine. We can sit here while you get drunk. Napoleon snaps his head up to look at him. You don't get to say that to me. His voice is steadier than he feels. Don't I? Ilya tips his head to the side. What is it, cowboy? Napoleon stands and sways on one foot before he limps painfully over to Ilya. Ilya remains sitting and looks up at him impassively. Stand up, Napoleon says firmly. Ilya shrugs, looking unconcerned, but stands. It puts them only centimeters apart, and Napoleon takes a second before he steps back and then goes to shove him. Ilya's hands close around Napoleon's wrists and hold them to his chest. Napoleon tries to free himself, but Ilya's hold is iron fast, steady, anchoring. Ilya slowly lowers them onto the couch and doesn't let up his grip on Napoleon's wrists. Napoleon feels the fight drain out of him, and Ilya finally drops his hands and raises one of his own to the back of Napoleon's neck, applying enough pressure to guide Napoleon's head onto his shoulder. Napoleon breathes in, and he can smell something distinctly Ilya, something comforting. They stay that way for what might be hours, not talking, and Ilya doesn't ask again.